My dad passed away when I was four years old. And I remember in the middle of the night, I would hear this noise. Turns out it was my mother crying. And I used to go up to her and hug her leg and say, everything's gonna be okay. And I think, I think that's when I became the everything's gonna be okay guy and tried to make everything right as best Whenever as I could. anybody I meet wants to make an impact on my life, I will spit blood for them. I've got people on SNL. I've had somebody host. I've been at Madison Square Garden at where somebody sold out two shows. I've been with a person who hosted Saturday Night Live right before they went on for the premiere of the season. Why am I doing this interview? Like, why, honestly, like, why am I doing this interview? Because I begged for it. But when I sit across from you, I'm sitting across from an 18-year-old kid who's doing a podcast from New Delhi who wants to do anything he can. Almost all of my high school years, I lived away from home, even though my home was a mile away. And I made my own money. And then I started uh, mowing lawns. I bought a, a lawnmower with the money I made from my bar mitzvah. And I, and I went around to everybody and said, I'll do it for less than the person who does it. And I just started accumulating money and doing my own thing. The sad part of life is, is that it's all about the sale. You're not going to get anywhere unless you're valuable. When we're born, we have a responsibility to make a difference, okay? There's a quality about sharks that a lot of people don't know. Oh, what is it, Barry? Enlighten me. They can't swim backwards. I think no, no fish can swim backwards. Or is this just the shark? You told me not to do any research for this episode. And therefore, what I knew about you from the previous Zoom meetings, I've already forgotten that. So yeah, who are you? What are we doing here? I'm afraid. Are you afraid? <laughs> A little bit. This is the first time I'm doing no research for the longtime listeners that know. And especially in this weather, I mean, can you believe how cold it is in New Delhi right now? It's insane. I'm trying to understand why you're wearing a ski parka inside. Right. Uh, I'm looking like an Eskimo here. You're looking like Dave Attell on every show he does indoors. I mean, the floor is even colder. It just feels as if I can dig a circular ring and, you know, hunt for some frozen fishes. Still, one of the things that I really admired about your whole journey was the kind of value that you're providing take it from industry standard podcast whose link would be in the description for anyone interested to check out as well the blueprint for success in the comedy business what i found quite encouraging is that despite being involved in managing side and spending so many hours this meeting you still take out time to provide value to young aspiring performers comedians writers at such a reasonable cost why do that? Why not just you know spend more time with your family and enjoy your life? That's an excellent question right out of the gate. Jesus, I'm uh, I'm sweating. I'm sweating like Mike Tyson at a spelling bee. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me get my act together. I want to just make sure I'm. I look like a uh, well-groomed mountain man uh, before I answer that question. Why do it? I think the answer to the question always goes back to everyone inside, everyone, what's going on inside them. And as your audience knows, we don't always understand ourselves uh, the way we think we do. And we tell ourselves a lot of lies. We build evidence for why things are the way they are. And so I think that the most important thing for me as I go through the journey is realizing that I always love the feeling of making a difference in somebody's life if I can. You know, obviously you can't make a difference in everyone's life. I, I know like, for instance, I'm in Malibu, California and the rabbi here, I ran into him 
And he said, I, I, I listen to the podcast. I really like it a lot, uh, what you're doing. Wow, the yeah. rabbi listens to the podcast as well. That's yeah. exciting. And he, said, and he said, if you help one person, Barry, in your entire life, you've done the mitzvah that you need to do uh, in the world for your existence. Still, uh, don't, don't you think that by spending so much time on managing side, you are achieving so well by giving this world these comedy legends and managing them at a young age, like Dave Chappelle at the age of 18. So don't you think you are doing enough on the managing side? Because that's quite an amazing achievement. You have produced like dozens of comedy specials and various television shows. Uh, it's strange, you know, it, like it doesn't affect me that way. Like going back to the rabbi, you know, when he said you only have to help one person, I looked at him, I said, what are you fucking crazy? <laughs> like, if I help one person, I feel like a loser. I want to help as many people as I can. And, you, and like you said, in the management side, yes, it's fulfilling. You know, when you work hard with an artist and they get something like Saturday Night Live or they get their first movie or television right. series where they're the lead, it's, it's amazing. But then you just realize you've only really helped one person. And then, yes, I've helped the network or the studio or yes, you know, like take somebody like Daryl Hammond, who's still on SNL doing things and announcing. It's like, yeah, he made millions of people laugh, but I, I think I aspire to, you know, help more people figure out their journey uh, and don't go through the pitfalls and all the traps that many people have to go through. And I, I, I again, I want you, you and your audience to know, I don't understand why all the time or have the knowledge of what's going on or why I, like, why am I doing the blue? Why am I doing this interview? Like, <laughs> why, honestly, like, why am I doing this interview? Because I begged for it. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people beg for it. I do the interview because you're an 18-year-old kid who looks like, uh, you know, the Wolfman's illegitimate son. And uh, and you're like, you're like an old soul. You're wearing a ski parka. Uh, there we go. A guy who's really has a, a desire and an excitement about the business, and you want to do so well. And and I'm and that that excites me, and it makes me happy. And I want to I want to do something for you. Granted, it's ten thirty at night, so it's not like infringing on my work day. And uh, I can do it uh, in my spare time, but I still love it. I would rather be here with you. I know this sounds crazy, but I would rather be here with you doing this than let's say, you know, doing something exciting for most people that I've done a million fucking times. I've got people on SNL. I've had somebody host. I've been at Madison Square Garden at where somebody sold out two shows. I've been, I've produced movies that have been studio movies. I've been with a person who hosted Saturday Night Live right before they went on for the premiere of the season. I've, I've helped people get radio deals. I've done 30 the 40 hour specials. That's like, so, but when I sit across from you, I'm sitting across from an 18 year old kid who's doing a podcast from New Delhi, who wants to do anything he can to move the needle and to, and to move forward in this career, like 11,000 miles away from me. That excites me. That makes me happy. You're starting to get your grip on geography. So I think why not uh, put a confidence booster out there? Can you guess the exact time right now in New Delhi? The exact time right now is 12.02 p.m. See, you got it right there. And we are already off to a great start. What's this thing? And a half yeah. hours ahead. Right. <laughs> we are eventually getting used to the time zones. 
and still guess what it's still so cold right here you know i can see the sunshine has about to come outside the window but still it's incredibly cold you know my vocal cords are about to freeze and what's this side of yours to help people is this something that start, started off at a really young age when you were say involved in some non-profit work or some organization for needy people at a young age I think so. I mean, I worked at these camps for disabled kids and adults for a long okay. time. Okay. And uh when I was a younger person and um and I really um enjoyed it a lot. I What really, were your main duties? Uh my main duties were uh that I you're going to like laugh at this, but when I was in high school, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. So in the United States, I don't know if it's still true, but you could go to your guidance counselor and take this test where you answered a ton of multiple choice questions. It could have been at least 100. And then you go back to his office and he'd have this like sheet of you know how you the answers where you circle a dot with a pencil. Yeah, multiple choice questions, yeah. And he laid this sheet of paper over it that had certain things that showed you what your interest was just by laying the sheet over it he could see where the dots were and he's like, "Okay, Barry, uh it was pretty clear what you want to do." I'm like, "It is." He said, "Yes, it is. It's clear that you want to be in the entertainment business." and you want to do something to help people who aren't as fortunate as you. I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah. A specifically comedy business and specifically helping people get to where they want to go or disabled people." And he said, "Just so happens there's this camp in New Hampshire. I grew up in Long Meadow, Massachusetts, that's looking for counselors and training. I'll I'll give you the number and you can go visit with them." I met with them they offered me a job when I was 15 to work at this camp for disabled kids and, and adults and I got the job it was like only $200 for the summer and with free room and board and I didn't know what I was doing but I I loved working with people who were less fortunate than me and I I ended up becoming like a a go-to guy at these camps so that I spent like 5 or 6 years to eventually my last year I was running like you know at the lake and the swimming pool and the pond and all the boating and all the aquatics and I did the outward bound and I as I been there 3 years I applied to Boston University I got a scholarship to BU for Sargent College and um I'm in this great school and I doing great things just because I took a gig for relatively nothing and I did plan the entertainment for these people and I tried to make them laugh and and at the on, old age asylum you used to make them laugh yeah and so so I think that's probably where it started but it probably started earlier than that because my dad passed away when I was 4 years old and I remember in the middle of the night I would hear this noise turns out it was my mother crying and for most people who listen to your podcast who grew up in a house or a, a suburban house in the United States there'd always be that kitchen with the kitchen sink with the window in front of it that <laughs> overlooked yeah. the backyard or whatever it was and my mother was doing the dishes like in the wee hours in the morning and she was crying and i remember i i snuck around the back uh door and i looked at her from behind and from behind you know her shoulders were going like this as she was crying and i remember as a young child 4 years old i used to go up to her and hug her leg and say everything's going to be okay and i think i think that's when i became the everything's going to be okay guy and tried to make everything right as best as i could and uh you know sometimes it, i fail and sometimes i succeed but uh that's probably where it all started it's important to be that person especially in this industry when people are carrying a lot of baggage from the past what was childhood for you because you've seen adversity at a really young age 
was it an easy childhood in school because when i look at you i don't know i just feel that you are a person who doesn't adapt to someone else's system you like to be your own boss so i kind of wonder what was it being in this indoctrinating education system were you a good student i'm unhirable essentially <laughs> And I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't a good student. Like, I remember this one time, like, I know some setups are different. Like, when I went to school, there was middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and it was a different location. I know now, like, like my kids go to school, at, and it's like you go to the same school the whole way through, you know? Yeah. Hanging around the hallways in sixth grade with the same people that are in high school, right? That wasn't the case with me. So I remember I didn't really understand how bad I was until I went into high school. And in ninth grade, I'm in the math class. And it felt like the couch in that scene from Animal House, you know, where there's the couch and people are sitting on and, you know, and, and, and there's like a guy with like the blind there's another guy who's able <laughs> there's another guy who's mentally deceived you know and like i looked around and i'm like i was shocked and i went directly after school to the guidance uh, counselor and i said uh i said i don't know how to say this the right way but i mean i in a math but i i like i don't i don't belong in that math plan that's like that's like a special needs math Class. So same here in my classroom there used to be a window in the in the end of the class right in the corner of the class and i would just take a seat right by it and during the maths class i would just look outside the window that's what i do and well, then teacher got sick of it she made everyone shift their desk forward so our row was completely right in front of the blackboard yeah that kind of went out of the window it's still i can totally relate with that part of your life did your mother had any sort of outreach or help in terms of raising you or was it uh, the lack of things that inspired you to provide such a great life to your children another good question i think that um when i look back at my life growing up the normal family in the united states would never raise a child like my mother raised me i had enormous independence like i tried out for little league baseball on my own you know like i'm like eight or nine years old i'm riding my bicycle like a mile a mile and a half in town to the practices i'm that, that's I'm, insane yeah i know the whole schedule my mother knows nothing about the schedule you know i'm washing my own stuff um now my mother was very responsible and really was wonderful but when it came time to the things i did extracurricular wise she had no idea really what was going on and she never came to a game she was never really involved she never looked at my report card she never really cared i had complete independence so I'm, you know now you your kid is 17 and you don't you, you're worried about leaving them at home overnight you know without you or you know or there's fences everywhere whatever like i was like completely on my own and independent and my mother worked a lot and then when i was really young like 13 or 14 i got a job taking care of somebody's cat when they went away and I moved into their house in Longmeadow and from almost almost all of my high school years, I lived away from home, even though my home was a mile away. And I made my own money and, and then I started uh, mowing lawns. I bought a, a lawnmower uh, with the money I made from my bar mitzvah and I, and I went around to everybody and said, I'll do it for less than the person who does it. And I just started accumulating money and doing my own thing. Before I knew it, I, I you know, I, I had more and more independence because for those of you listening, the sad part of life is, is that it's all about the sale. Everything is all about the sale. And then after the sale, it's all about how much money 
do you put in your pocket after the sale? And the more money you put in your pocket, the more independent you will be. The less money you put in your pocket, the more you're living under your parents' roof. And you're wondering like uh, where your future is going to be and how are you going to do things independently? So my mother gave me independence. The death of my father gave me independence. And I guess that's that adversity helped me to move forward. And, and I hope, again, when you talk about being a great influence on my kids, you know, I feel like I am trying to be a, a really great father. And I do things very unconventionally. However, they don't have the adversity that I had. So the question is, can they be successful without the adversity? Can they be successful knowing they're, they're operating now with a net? I didn't have a net. I was like a trapeze artist doing the triple flip without the net. Now, who's a better trapeze artist? The one who does the triple somersault with the net or the one who does the triple somersault without the net? I would vote for the guy without the net because if he doesn't land it, he's dead. If the other guy doesn't land it, he's not dead. So he doesn't work as hard as he doesn't figure it out. But doesn't the guy with the net allows him to go for even bigger risks? We're talking about the same task. Got it. And I so, sometimes I feel that uh, this life experiences that you went through at a young age, this independence, built your intent in terms of... Because when I see that you are giving opportunities to young people from a guy all the way from New Delhi, India... And this ability to recognize, because I'll be honest, you know, I've been just running into a brick wall. I had no great people around me who had complementary skills or even I'll say a spectacular support system. It was just like running into a brick wall thinking I'll break it and I'm just bruising all myself. And I'll be honest, since the time I've got for those of you out there now, you would also hear my voice in the industry standard podcast as well quite soon because I'm there as a podcast producer. And, you know, since the first Zoom conversation we had, it's just been a great night. It doesn't matter if I sleep four hours or 10 hours. It's just a great sleep. I can totally be restful and not worry. Well, when I met you, look Everybody who's listening has their own strengths and their own weaknesses. You know, one of my strengths is I've always been an instinct person. I've always had a gut feeling about things. I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. We've all made decisions based on certain things that made us feel good, knowing that there were other things that were going to make us feel shitty. I'm divorced. I got married and I presumed it was going to be for the rest of my life, didn't happen. I have two amazing teenage boys, and my ex-wife is a really, really wonderful friend of mine, could possibly be my best friend. And so, um, but it didn't work. And I spend time with her and her boyfriend all the time and with the family, and and it's great, but, I feel, you know, Kevin Hart came to me 21, 22 years ago, you know, wanted me to work with him. I didn't think he was ready. I said, no, he proved me wrong. I think he's doing okay. We all make things. But when I met you, my instinct told me that you were an extraordinarily special young man. And, and maybe I don't know what the work ethic or how people are in India or New Delhi. But when I met you, I met somebody who felt like they were an old soul, felt like they had a great skill set, felt like they wanted to make an impact on my life. And whenever anybody I meet wants to make an impact on my life, you know, I will spit blood for them. I will do everything in my power to make sure that they 
do well and they take their career to the next level. And when I met you, you know, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're living in a fucking lean-to in the middle of nowhere or a, a palatial mansion. I don't know anything about your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the things. All I know is my instinct tells me that it's a really, really challenging life uh, in New Delhi. And so here I am. Uh, yes, I've had adversity. Yes, my father died. Yes, my first wife passed away when she was 23. I've been through some challenging times. In business, I've been fired by some of the greatest comedians in the world and hired by some of the greatest comedians in the world. I've had some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. But at the end of the day, when I met you, you made me happy. You made me excited to want to help you make a difference. And you were excited to help make a difference in, in, in my business life. And I really enjoyed that. And I was really grateful. Yeah, it's all about the purpose behind what are we doing it for? Even the podcast, you know, Industry Standard, I started listening to it. And all of a sudden, I couldn't help but check out more about what you're doing through Patreon, providing value to multiple young aspiring comedians, all that. Best ability, which I'll think audience would also appreciate of yours is your ability to bounce back from challenging adversities if you're comfortable sharing you know early 20s seems like a young age and i'm saying this from being someone in india where people used to get married at the age of 15 but early 20s seems like a tender age and how did you recuperate it and build yourself after witnessing, you know, the passing away of your wife. Was she also, by the way, into entertainment or comedy? No, no, she wasn't. She wasn't in that business. Yeah, how do you come back? You know, there's this expression that my mother used to tell me all the time. She used to say, it's always darkest before the dawn. And, and that's what you realize if you really have faith in, in the process of the world and life. And look, you know, one of the things that's so, I think, wrong about how we're um, brought up in this world is that there's no, there's no courses on adversity, death and dying, how to handle tragedy, how to handle situations in your life that are horrible, like alcoholism or drug abuse or uh, violence towards women or, you know, all people always talk about are the positive things that are going to happen and how life is all. There's a great scene. Um, I highly recommend your audience Google it. It's, uh, I'm going YouTube. It's, uh, it's a scene that's probably from a movie some of you have seen. It's not the greatest movie in the world. It's not the most amazing uh, movie in the franchise. I don't even know which one it is, but it's a, it's a Rocky movie. And just Google Sylvester Stallone Sunshine or Sunshine and Roses or whatever. His son is upset at him because he wants to make a comeback. And his son told him, you know, listen, you only just think about yourself. Don't you think about how it's going to affect me? how it's going to hurt me negatively. And Sylvester Stallone gives like a three-minute speech to his son, addresses what you're talking about, where if you don't, like, that's why I told you I worry about my sons, because it sounds unbelievably horrible, but I, I want them to get the shit kicked out of them in life in certain points, because... That's how you move forward and that's how you get to the next level. And yeah, I, I did a, a lot of horrible things after my wife passed away. I stayed in bed for probably a year. I, my business, I let go. I probably was bouncing a million checks to comedians trying to figure out how to put it all back together again. And um Okay, did you already make the transition to managing site from performing to managing site during that time? 
no. And that's when I just got in my car and I drove to New York because I couldn't, I didn't want to be around Boston. I didn't want to be around the people who were the negative. They would remind you of those memories, right? Yeah. It's like, so I got in my car and I drove to New York and uh, rented the first apartment I found on 82nd Street in Central Park West. And I'm in New York and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I started a life there and, and and I was fortunate to find the Boston Comedy Club. Well, it wasn't the Boston Comedy Club, but I turned it into that and, and the rest is history. So what I'm trying to say to your audience is that when something horrible happens, the natural inclination is to say, why? Why did the world fuck me? I'm a nice guy. Why would they do this to me? But the bottom line is, is that you have to understand and trust the process that even the worst thing that happens to you, it's going to take to you, it's going to take you to a place of magnificent beauty and happiness in an area of your life that you can't even believe is possible. And that's what happened to me. And without that tragedy, as horrible as it sounds, it's unbelievable to think that somebody has to lose their life so I can move to New York, open the Boston Comedy Club, meet Dave Chappelle, have clients on Saturday Night Live, get a, an office in New York, get a development deal with Disney, move to LA. All these things happen and, and now I'm here in, in Malibu and it's all because somebody lost their life. It's, it's unbelievable, but these are the things that happen. So whenever something horrible happens to you you have to understand that the world has a plan and uh and if you trust the world and you trust your lot in the world great things will happen to you i do believe that directly or indirectly you have impacted hundreds of thousands of lives if not millions through whatever you do both on the managing side as well as the podcast or the blueprint for success in the comedy business. Do you ever sit back and imagine like what would be the reaction of your wife if she could be physically present to witness the kind of legacy you're leaving behind and doing for these young aspiring entertainers? Well, my dear friend, congratulations. You have just asked one of the greatest questions I've ever been asked, if not the greatest question in my lifetime. 18 fucking years old. Unbelievable. We're in, we're in a ski park and he rolls out with the best question. No research this time. Yeah. Maybe you should consider not doing research. For sure. I'm considering that an option. Yeah. So I think I would hope that she might say I'm really honored that my leaving this earth plane was able to bring so much joy and laughter to so many people in the world. But I would hope that she might say, you know, I wish I had figured it out to where I could have stayed on the earth plane and Barry and I could have figured out how to make those kind of wonderful accomplishments together. But I'm looking down and uh, I'm excited that he's doing great things for so many people and helping so many young artists. And I love her family and I talk to them all the time. I get texts from them all the time. I visit them all the time. My boys, we could go away we went away to Europe. We went to 10 countries. In 13 in days. 13 days. And on our way back, we went through Boston to stay with her family. And I asked them all the time, what's your favorite part of the trip? Boston being with the family. So I think she'd also look down and say, wow, I'm really honored that. You're still family. connected yeah, with the family. Yeah. It must be a freaking yeah. amazing feeling. Yeah. 
Let me tell you something, Farth. You know, there's there's nowhere to go but down from that question. So, uh, you know, get ready to lose. <laughs> and the momentum is going to go down the drain now. Okay, thank you for setting me up for failure. And no. <laughs> another thing that I found quite fascinating is your belief in hiring young people, giving them opportunities. You found these world-class comedians, discovered them when they were just 18. Is there a childhood moment that inspires this side that you were given a lot of responsibility at a young age that made you go? When I am in the position to hire people, I would also try to replicate that. Did, was there any personality that had such impact on you? I don't know where that came from, to be honest with you. I think I, I will say this, you know, one of the things that many people don't know about me is that I, I think I was a bully when I was a kid. Like I was a big kid and I think I was more domineering and trying to control everything was, and so. What's your height? My height at the time was 6'3". Now I I think I'm shrunk to the size of Brad Williams. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 6'1 here. I used to play a lot of basketball. You're 6'1"? Yeah. How much do you weigh? How, how many stone do you weigh? No, I don't know what the metric system I is. I don't know. It's, it's kgs here in India. I weigh around 75 kgs. What is that in pounds? We'll have to do the maths. We started with geography. Now we can shift it to maths all of a sudden. I've got to look this up now. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> sure. 75 kilograms. Hang on one second. All right. You weigh 165 pounds. Oh, I can fight in UFC. My dog weighs more than you. (laughs) Leela, right? Uh, Yeah, well, now it's Willow. I think my leg weighs more than you. It's that's (laughs) bad. Anyway, um, so I don't really know where it came from. I think that um, working with the disabled kids, it sort of reversed itself, and I wasn't a bully anymore, but I was helping a lot of young people but allowing young people to help me, I don't know. I always loved um, at the comedy club, young people helping. I always loved internship programs, you know, and I love the programs now because it's like there's people from all over the world who, who help me. And it's just, I'm learning so much about myself and, but also helping them hopefully move the needle. That's an exciting way to look at it. And I think it provides value on both the sides as well. And adds to your knowledge. For example, this started out as a podcast internship. And now it's a geography internship. And now I think we are moving on to a math internship. It's just a great time to be alive for me as well, personally. You know, Because I know how it's like to wake up those days when life is just ready to kick you in the face you don't feel like waking up basically knowing that you know are your parents mad at me that we 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 talk at all hours and they have no privacy whatsoever <laughs> no my father is actually surprised how i was able to do that they actually don't even know what my podcast name is i believe <laughs> it's quite a lonely process right here but still like you I have the independence to do what I find is necessary even though they not understand it but they are not a physical barrier to it at first I used to do those started out as a video editor and one of the key things that I think you can also relate with it is the use of imagination always imaginative about what can I add more even if you scroll through my podcast Instagram with each and every episode the editing of the clips is enhanced because I like imagining and I think even when you do not have a strong skill set you can with a strong imagination you can take it to another level and knowing about your side as a manager you move to New York as someone starting out uh, how much, what kind of work I think it took to get these production deals signed up with big networks or big people and you know, make something out of these young entertainers and turn them into these household names. I think the biggest thing is with anything, it doesn't matter if it's not just 
to me, it could be to you or to a comic out there or an actor or an actress or whatever you want to be. It's, it's all it is, is you've got to believe in yourself and you got to have confidence in yourself. And then again, it's all about the sale. Is there anything in the world that isn't about the sale? Is there anything? You're doing your podcast. You're not doing your podcast so no people can listen to it. You're selling yourself so that more and more people can listen to it. They might not be buying anything yet, but they're buying into you. You know, when I do the blueprint for success in the comedy business, it's like people can go on and they can they can buy a, whatever tier they can afford to, to help them. Even though it's helping people, it's still about the sale. The podcast, my podcast is free. It's still about the sale. You go on the street, you walk down, you're hungry. There's 16 restaurants on the street. You go in, it's about the sale. Which one, which one made it more appealing for you to go in and buy? Was it easy to get into those doors where you could pitch or be in a position to at least make the sale? Is anything easy that's, that, that's worthwhile? I mean, yeah, no. share some. I want some life instance of how much work it took. Any memory that rings up where you remember spending, you know, just hours and hours. It's just hours and hours strategizing how to reach people. And then when you reach them, how to make them feel like you're valuable. You're not going to get anywhere unless you're valuable to the other people. It's just, it's sometimes it's like frustrating in a sense because it's so simple. And pe- so, people oh, misunderstand it due to pa- lack of patience. I love, I've told you, talked about this a lot with you. Like, I love how sports are analogous to to the entertainment business. You know, just like, if you look at somebody like Tom Brady in football, American football, who's considered the greatest quarterback of all time. Three weeks ago, he goes plays a game, doesn't score a point. It's like, it's like I shared with you, it's like there could have been a field full of dead people and they would have scored just... (laughs) Just roll the ball on the bodies, yeah. The greatest football player of all time, there could have been a group of dead people on the field and they would have scored as many points as he scored. But the difference between the entertainment business and life in general is fantastic for people in the entertainment business. And I'm going to explain why. All right. So let's just take the Tom Brady analogy. If you're into American football, I believe their team finished 12 and five this year. I believe 12 wins, five losses. Okay. Let's just take that for a second. Let's just take any job. Let's just say, Parth, let's say you get a job at a pizza shop. You're making pizzas. Okay, you get hired. Your first 17 pizzas you make, five are fucked up. They're burnt. They're the wrong ingredients on them. But 12 are perfect. But you fucked up five pizzas. Do you have a job? No, you're fired. Let's just go with anything else. You're a waiter, Parth. I think one failure is fine to explain my position. You got a job as a waiter. You you bring the wrong thing out five out of 17 times, you're fired. But in sports, you're like the number one or number two seed. You're in great shape. You're going into the playoffs. And it's the same in the entertainment business. We can fuck up a lot and still be wildly successful. An actor could go on a hundred auditions, 99 auditions. The people could look them in the eye and say, Hey, listen, pal, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, don't quit your fucking day job. One time the actor puts it together and could be on television for seven years and be a multi-millionaire. 
your podcast, okay? You start your podcast, you reach out. Let's say for some miraculous reason, you got a mailing list of 100,000 people. Somebody gave it to you. Here's my gift to you, Parth. Here's 100,000 people all over the world that listen to podcasts, and here's their email addresses. And you make this beautiful, incredible, like, graphic, and you type these beautiful words where it's waxing poetry. This is the greatest podcast of all time. And just click here, and you will experience inspiration and amazement and an extraordinary experience. And then you send that out to 100,000 people, Parth. And guess what? Only 900 click on it and listen to the podcast out of 100,000. Are you a failure? No, because you got 900 more people than you had before you sent out the thing. It's like, it's what kind of lens you're looking through as an artist or anyone who's listening, whatever it is. So when people ask me or I get frustrated about it, it's like most of us are in a situation where we don't have to worry about it. Even the person at the pizza shop that gets fired and you, all you want to do is make pizza. Well, guess what? No one fucking knows you at the next pizza shop that you apply to. And if you fuck up there, no one knows you at the next one. You know, there's an amazing thing about sharks, okay? There's a quality about sharks that a lot of people don't know. Oh, what is it, Barry? Enlighten me. They can't swim backwards. They're just always moving forward. I think no, no fish can swim backwards. Or oh, is this just the shark? I'm, I didn't know you were a fish expert. I was just watching the stand-up comedy. I've never seen a fish swimming backwards, is all I'm saying. Why would a fish swim backwards? I was, I was just watching a stand-up comic named Dusty Slay. I was watching a clip of him. And he says he goes into a uh, a pet store and there was a woman who had a name tag that said fish expert. And he was all excited because he, he never met a fish expert before. So he just walked right up to her and he thought he'd ask her the first question that was on his mind, which was, uh, excuse me, uh, you're the fish expert? Yes, yes, I am. I, I've, I've always wondered this. Um, could you tell me do fish sleep? And she looked at him and she said, uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't work the night shift. We can have a Seinfeld routine out of it. And like, hey, Barry, you think fishes can swim backwards, huh? What do you think? Am I standing with a vacuum in front of them that they're swimming backwards, huh? There you go. But the point I'm trying to make with the sharks, part is the fact that in whatever we're doing, the shark doesn't care if he misses his prey and he just keeps swimming to the next thing. You ever go, I, I just, I don't want to get canceled or anything like that, but you know, I remember when I used to, my, my cousin used to take me to this club in Kenmore Square when I was underage called Lucifer's and it was like a dance club in the 70s. And I wear my suit, I'd be 15, and I'd be nursing a tequila sunrise. I was, I would, didn't know what, I was a virgin. I had no knowledge of relationships. And this guy wasn't necessarily the most appealing man in the world. But he put his cologne on, his suit on, and he'd keep going up to girls and say, you want to dance? And I'd see them say no, and he'd keep going, no, no. But he just kept going until somebody said yes. I remember as we're speaking this quote from this hockey player named Wayne Gretzky, and it's, and it's not grammatically correct the way he said it, but I always loved it. It's the, uh, what did he say? He said, not surprisingly, I never scored on 100% of the shots I never took. In anything that you do, whatever you're listening, if you have a sense 
of urgency in getting it done and making it happen, it will happen whether somebody passed away in your family or whether you live the perfect existence. My son produces music. He said, Dad, I'm really excited about what's happening. People really like it. And I'm like, great. Uh, how many producers have you sent your stuff out to? He said, uh, uh, five. I said, five. It's like if you gave me a baseball and told me to hit a target like 25 meters away and I only had five chances at it, I might not hit it. But give me 50 chances, I'm going to hit it at least once, maybe twice. Give me 100, I'm going to hit it more. 1,000, I'm going to hit it more. Again, Parth, going back to the 100,000 emails and the 900 people opening it, hypothetically, what happens if you send it out to a million? How many are doing that? What is that now? 9,000? 90,000? Then what happens if it's 10 million? It's just more people, for more opportunities happen, the more you get out there and the less you get out there, the less it's going to happen. If you want a job as an architect and you go to three firms and apply, your odds are going to be much less than if you go to 30 firms and apply. And that's what it is, it's all in the numbers. It doesn't matter. Yes, when you get the job, you have to be valuable. You have to add value. The more success you have in the job, the more value you have, the more money you make, the more you're hired and promoted. And even if you're fired, you're so confident, you'll just walk into another place and get a gig. And one of the things that I've learned, because I know what it's like to just apply for internship after internship, that yes, it's a numbers game, but also what matters is how you do it. I learned so much during the process about designing my resume, how to in India, we do not have this portfolio and that kind of stuff. So the learning which goes on during this process is exceptionally inspiring. And just to wrap up this conversation, when you look at your legacy, how do you want people to feel when they see name Barry Katz, whether they see it after the end of a comedy special, movie, TV show, or even if they're just listeners of your podcast or users of Patreon account, which I find is the best way to go for someone who wants to start out in comedy. All the links would be in the description if you want to check it out. Like, How do you want people to feel and think about you and your legacy? Well, I think the first thing I want them to feel is I just want them to feel that I, I just want to be a good person. And I know that it's hard to be a good person in every single facet of your life. It's hard to negotiate great deals for people and not have people on the other side feel like you're too hard with them. It's hard to be great in personal relationships when sometimes things don't line up the way they're supposed to. It's hard when sometimes you make decisions based on things that you think will be the right thing to do and then they turn out to be the wrong thing but i think in terms of a legacy i i just i honestly i just want to make a positive difference in young artists and, and older artists and people of all different areas of the business and and present something that that really inspires them and impacts them and there's something that might happen that that I might say or my, I might do that that is said in a way that probably could have been said, you know, written on a wall of a caveman's home, but maybe I say it in a way that's a little bit of different kind of tone or a different words that are used for it. That's all I want. I, I think it's just really, really important for all of us to figure out a way to make a difference in the lives of the people around us who we know and, and those we don't know. And, and I think if we can do that, then as a world, hopefully, we can have much more common ground. Obviously, there's a lot of horrible things that are happening around the world. And I don't know if anybody has the answers. You know, if I grew up 
when I was eight years old, instead of playing baseball, I had a machine gun put in my hand and and was told to guard the house from midnight to 8 a.m. I, I think obviously I there's a difference what you know, why does Bronny James play basketball? Because his father LeBron James plays every day. Well, why does you know little Joey have a gun and is outside, you know, shooting things? Because, you know, somebody else is outside shooting people or things or or why does somebody become somebody who is violent towards women? Maybe, you know, there's something that happened and there's a lot of things that Was your dad in the armed forces or anything? My dad designed guns for the government. He created okay. the the grenade launcher and uh, but I never went into that uh, kind of thing. But I, I guess what I'm to finish off this point is that I think when you're born, if I had it, you know, it's interesting this this podcast part of it, it's like you you've really gotten me thinking about this and and I have never really verbalized it this way before but I guess I believe in my heart that when we're born we have a responsibility to make a difference to as many people as possible and whatever way we choose to make that difference you know we make it my rabbi has a congregation the most people in 21 years that have gone there maybe 200 people but he has a purpose he's excited and he wants to inspire those 200 people now could he inspire more than that i'm sure he could could he inspire less yes but that's what he's doing and that's his legacy and i'm honored and proud to be associated and to know him what is my legacy i don't know i i, I create new things for myself and i try to do new things every year that help people more and more whether i succeed or i fail i don't know but for every person that comes on that i do something that helps people i figure it's a positive thing when i met you i've only known you a short while and i sincerely tell you that you are one of the joys of my life and i am so fucking proud of you and what you accomplish and i'm so excited for the future i know and i'm hopeful that one day you know after we stop working together if we ever stop working together that you'll share with people that this was one of the things that really inspired you to do really wonderful things in your life and your business i know you're going to be successful I'm never wrong about things like that. I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I know you're going to do really great things and I'm going to be very excited to watch you do them. It's strange that with each and every Zoom conversation, you know, how you're able to reveal so much and know me in a way which, you know, no one has understood if they you I remember you asking me like why didn't you have a girlfriend and that's that sort of thing. no one really understood me in that way and believe me if there was a woman of my age that could speak those words do you know if they make a story about my life for the first 18 years you won't need a woman character that's how <laughs> famine it I, is but i think the other side of it is this is that and again this is probably another kind of show but if you really think about what you just said you just said you know why hasn't there been a woman in your life and you know if anybody could figure out how to move my mind in a certain way then there would be a woman in my life but if i'm a betting man i might say to myself well hmm how many women has parth reached out to how many women has he tried to meet that have a uh, the kind of take on the world that he has how much effort has he put into that or is he just waiting for the right time when the world just smashes together and a woman who is his type just falls in his lap 
you know and and that's the thing it's like it's your if you want to meet people you you just start going out and meeting people and you meet a hundred people who don't move you so what maybe you learn something from each one you meet a different thing what you don't want what you do want and then eventually maybe you meet the person you do i'm a different case in that again this is kind of comical in a way but i've never been the type of person who ever went up to a woman and said hi my name's barry what's your name i've never in business I'll walk right up to a woman, a man, whatever, and, and be very uh, aggressive. But I'm very laid back when it comes to that. But I, it's never affected me. And I never worry about meeting people because somehow it always happens. But for other people, it, it doesn't happen that way. And uh, it, what you're looking for in your personal life, why shouldn't it be approached in the same way and same urgency that you approach things in your professional life i have personal standards and to be honest i want to be financially free before i get engaged in that sort of stuff and that's what keeps me going to be someone which i have the image in my mind until i reach that that's when i'll start looking out because when i see some of my idols johnny carson you know i have right there on the wall Steven Tyler, you know, Robin Williams, they had exceptionally career lives, but they were lonely from inside. They were suffering in the personal domains because they made wrong decisions. And I do think, just like you said, that once I achieve those standards, which I've set for myself, ultimately the right people already be in my presence and it would be much easier to be with them. And I'm just patient. That's an incredible point you make. And this just popped inside me. What I feel when I listen to you and your talks about visiting rabbi and all that is you're quite connected with your Jewish culture. Is that right? It would appear that I am. I'm proud to be uh, a large Jewish man with a large nose and and, uh, the posture of the letter Q. But, Believe uh, me, some of my favorite guests and people whom I've been in contact with are the Jewish ones, not because of that we can relate with your culture, because we have been through a terrible past, but also your ability to not only be funny, but also accept self-deprecating humor. That's something I really like about Jewish comedians, and Don Rickles is among my idols as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not as religious as I should be, but I, I, I love the fact that I was brought up through this culture and um, it stays with me. And my grandparents used to eat their food on, they used to keep two different sets of plates. Uh, and you, you could if you study the Jewish religion of why they do that rather than me explain it here, because uh, it's a weird way to end the podcast. <laughs> two different silverwares i mean we've already covered all the aspects of it you know started out with the journey then we had a maths bit in between discussing weights now we're on to culture i do believe that india has also relate well with israel not because of the past but because of the current neighbors that we have i wish you know people get connected with their innate feeling like you said we are born with of helping others and providing positive value. And I wish if world leaders have that, everything would be perfect, just like John Lynn says. Imagine all the people living for today. And it's been incredible talking with you. You know, I love having guests who have a past, who have a personality, who have experiences that build themselves. And I can't wait to share this conversation with people out there. For all of you listening, if you want to watch the video version, check out on YouTube. The audio would be available on all streaming platforms and on Instagram. We would be uploading one or two minute snippets of this conversation for all of you to enjoy. So once again, thank you for being a guest. And I know it's quite late out there, but still, hope you have a great morning. 
No, I thank you so much. And uh, how many podcasts have you done so far? This is the episode 14. Number one, four, 14. Right. I'm proud that uh, 13 people uh, went before me. And uh, I hope that I made the cut. And I hope that I could be maybe the 12th best podcast you have. So uh, thank you. Uh, You're an amazing young man. I'm really so proud of you and so excited. And thank you all. And uh, if anybody wants to reach me, they can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter. Or you can reach me on my uh, website at barrycats.com. And again, I wish you all the best that uh, life has to offer. And uh, it's all out there for the taking if you really want it. For sure. I really appreciate it. And with this, we end the episode 14 of Review Rust with Barry Katz. Do check out the phenomenal work which he is doing for young aspiring comedians, writers, performers or anyone who's into the entertainment business by traversing through the links in the description. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, feel free to leave us your five-star review. And once again, thank you for listening. (laughs) 